To find out more about the series, please go to virgilkaylock.uk. The Strange Tales of Virgil Kaylock. The Urn. Chapter 2. Is this it? No, not that one, but it's definitely here somewhere. Uh, would you like tea? We could ask for some. Oops, damn it. I was happy to be standing next to Dorothy, our row forgotten. We were united in bewilderment as the professor scuttled around the room, pulling at books as he went. Let me see, let me see. It's here somewhere. Uh, sit down where you can, we won't give you a minute. Professor Heinrich Geisel lived on Fisher Street in Hoban, a smart and respectable house serviced by a smart and respectable housekeeper. The kitchen, drawing room and parlour were immaculately maintained and were clearly her domain. Whilst the professor himself appeared to live exiled in his study. Not in alphabetical order, sadly, but I will get round to it now then. Ah, let's try here. It was not a large room, but what space there was had been colonized by an explosion of books. They were piled on every surface. Piles that threatened to collapse at any moment were stacked on top of the ruined piles that came before them. A camp bed with crumpled sheets lay precariously beneath an overburdened bookcase and plates and cups and ashtrays joined in the cascade of learned chaos. Now, let me see. Yes! Here it is. Here it is, Munster's Cosmographia. Not the real thing, sadly, an 18th century translation of the 15th century original. Now then, uh, yes. Uh, listen! In the year of our Lord, 1462, Lord Dracula came to the great city of Shiltu. When day came early in the morning, he had women and men, young and old, impaled on stakes about the hill by the chapel and sat down among them and ate his breakfast with enjoyment. My God! Yes, it goes on. Um, none were spared. He had a thousand impaled, both sideways and upright, Christians and Jews alike, so that they moved and twitched and whimpered in confusion for a long time, like frogs. Well, that's horrible. Yes, horrible. His name was Vlad Tepes. The name Dracula is a derivation from Dracul. Right. The Order of Dracul was a military honour given to his father, which was then passed down, in turn, to him. Dracula means, well, it means son of Dracul, son of the dragon. It can also be translated as son of the devil. Yes, and I understand that a sadistic warlord existed in the 15th century, but... Ah, but you doubt the existence of the vampire. The ashes in the urn are only a few decades old at most. That's right, quite right. The monstrous creature died 50 years ago. He also died 200 years before that. He has died many times. And many times he has returned to bring his pestilence back to humanity. I'm sorry to say Dracula is all too real. But there was nothing in that passage to suggest he was a vampire. No, again you're right. Quite so, Miss Bell. It tells us that he was a man of great evil, great power, a man that found exhilaration in spilling the blood of his victims. But you are right. It does not describe a vampire. That came later. He did not become a vampire until after his death in 1477. But uh, this is incredible. I agree with you, Mr. Kaylock. It is incredible, incredible. 
We dutifully read our history books, and there is no mention of an immortal vampire at all. You can study at the highest universities in Europe, and you will hear no mention of him and his kind, but look elsewhere, and you will find him plain as day. He is there, stalking us in a thousand tales and folk stories. He may live unseen by history, but he's known only too well by his victims. How do you know all this? Do you mean how do I know this to be true? Because I know where to look. He has walked amongst us for six hundred years. Wherever he goes, he leaves his mark, the pestilence of vampirism. For example, the history books may describe a sickness in such and such a village, a contagion that spread rapidly, killing scores of people. But look in their cemetery and you will find the bodies decapitated or weighed down with stones or held fast to the earth with wooden stakes. A contagion of vampirism. And as he feeds, his contagion spreads. He must not come back. The ashes must be found. But how can he come back? They're only ashes. Blood will bring him back. It is what sustains him, and it will resurrect him too. You see, he is not truly dead. He cannot die. He cannot be killed. Death is for the living. By some diabolic enterprise, he is neither living nor dead. Vlad Tepes, the necromancer, died in 1477, but his devilry, his evil, lives on. He is, you might say, a demonic entity. He is an immortal. What do you know of this fellow, the Earl? James Waverley, the Earl of Danby. He's wealthy, of course. His family home is in Yorkshire, but he has an address in Knightsbridge, in Hans Place. He's a thief. Virgil is pretty certain he has it. Of course he has it. He is the principal member, the abbot, of the Hellfire Club. Aha! Fais ce que te voudra! Do what thou wilt! Ah, yes, I know all about the Hellfire Club. It's an occult society of some kind. Ah, they would like you to think so. Their rituals are certainly pagan, but I should say they are more devoted to Bacchus and Venus than to Beelzebub. It is a drinking club. Then why would he want the urn? They are Dracula's ashes. I mean, that's quite something for an occult drinking club, don't you think? They can put them up on the bar and toast him with every glass. But how would he know? I mean, how would he even know what it was? Yes, that is the question. How would he know? I have an idea, but I'm afraid to say it. Ordinal Dragon Louis, the Order of the Dragon. Yes. The Order of the Dragon has never gone away. It stopped being a military order centuries ago, but it has endured as a cult. For centuries, it has continued its foul purpose, and it has but one purpose, to serve the House of Dracula, to serve and to bring him back. Do you know who they are? No, 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 I don't, and I don't know anyone who does, but I know they exist, and it is possible that your Earl has something to do with it. But why? Why would anyone want to resurrect a vampire? Yes, why? I have studied the occult for many years, Mr. Kaylock. It is the story of mankind itself, a story that we keep hidden from ourselves. It is the history of our own darkness, who we really are. We humans live as well in the dark as we do in the light, and darkness has its own rewards, its own salvation. We are drawn to evil because we cannot help ourselves. We are drawn to evil because it is who we really are. We are drawn to evil because, well, well, because we like it. And Dracula, Dracula is the prince of evil, the prince of darkness. What should we do? 
Vampirism is as old as mankind itself, but it could have been designed for the modern age. It is contagion. Can you imagine how quickly it would spread through this city and then on through the cities of the world? It is the end of days, and Dracula is the devil himself. There is no question. We must find the urn straight away. We must find it and keep it safe from those that would invoke the end of all things. But how? We know who has it, but how do we get it back? Already it may be too late. One only needs to wash the ashes in blood, and he will return. We should call the police. I don't think the police will understand, Virgil. Do you? I think... No, we'll have to find it ourselves. We, we must search Han's place. How? Well, we can assume that the Earl of Danby won't just hand it over. We'll have to break in. Um, I don't think but that's Virgil, a good idea. we have no choice. There was no more discussion to be had. I insisted that I alone should take the risk and attempt to break into the house on Han's place, but to no avail. Dorothy insisted louder that she would be a better burglar than I would ever be, and I had to agree. We arrived in the square shortly after two o'clock in the morning. It was a cold but clear night. The street was empty, and we were careful to avoid being seen. We circumnavigated the house and looked for a way in. I worked at a back window with a chisel, while Dorothy acted as a lookout. My heart was pounding in my chest. I felt absurd. I felt frightened. I was completely out of my depth. I had always had a deep-seated respect for authority. My father had made sure of that, and a respect for property too, and I fully expected to end the night in a prison cell. Hell! What? Dorothy, it's no good. I can't do this. Shh. Hand it over. Let me try. It won't budge. Unless we smash it. Really, it's hopeless. You're sure? Yes, absolutely. Right. Dorothy. Dorothy! Where are you going? I'm going to knock on the door. What? Wait, Dorothy! For God's sake! By the time I had caught up with her at the front door, Dorothy had knocked extremely loudly and was standing back, waiting for a response. Dorothy! What? What's he going to do? I'm not just going to leave it. You can run away if you want to. James Waverley wore an embroidered dressing gown of deep red. His hair was tousled, and he stood bleary-eyed so and confused in the doorway, no, like while gross. I garbled an apology for our late intrusion. Yes, yes, all right. Uh, very nice to see you again, Miss Bell. God, what time is it? Look, you'd better come in. The drawing room was predictably opulent but its comfort was marred by the electric light, which seemed far too bright for the early hours of the morning. We sat down. We refused the offer of tea, and we waited for the Earl to speak. Well, um, a pleasant surprise and all that. An unusual hour, don't you think? We are sorry to disturb you. You are writing a piece on the nocturnal habits of Britain's lesser nobility, is that right? <laughs> You've caught me on the hop. We wanted to know if you had heard about the theft from the British Museum. A theft from the... Do you know, I think I did hear something. The security at the museum appears to be most inadequate. It seemed too easy for the thief. You got off lightly from what I hear. I suggest you make the necessary changes, Mr. Kellogg. We are in the middle of renovation. All the doors are being modernised, reinforced. Good job. The heritage of the Empire should not be so easily plundered. But you are here, I imagine, because you suppose me to be the plunderer. Did you? No. But you wanted the urn. You offered to buy it. That doesn't make me a thief. It seemed an attractive ornament. I liked it. Coincidence. Now, let me ask you a question. 
Why are you so keen to get it back? The museum got off lightly. It didn't even reach the papers. There's nothing particularly special about a funerary urn. The museum must have hundreds. It was under my supervision. I feel responsible. Ah, now that's a noble sentiment. And your dedication is very apparent, banging on doors at two in the morning. If only the police shared such a developed sense of responsibility. We believe the urn may be special. Oh, in what way? We believe it might be dangerous. Really? Then probably not a good idea to show it off in a museum. Or at the Hellfire Club. Or at the Hellfire Club. Absolutely. <laughs> you do know that it's just a bit of fun, don't you? The club. Bunch of fools, really. I certainly wouldn't trust them with anything dangerous. Contrary to belief, we don't perform the Black Mass and we don't kiss Satan's bum. Nevertheless, I've learned some interesting stuff poking about in the darkness. So you haven't got it? It would be extremely foolish to be in possession of something like that, don't you think? But I must ask you, what is your interest in the urn? And when you find it, what do you intend to do with it? Destroy it. Destroy its contents, all of it. Some people would rather you take more care of it. The Order of the Dragon. Gosh, you don't beat about the bush, do you? What do you know about the Order of the Dragon? Are you members? Of course not. We have nothing to do with them. No, I don't think you do. Look, Dorothy, Mr. Kaylock, this is extremely serious stuff, you know. And I think you may be a little out of your depth. We may know more than you think. It's nothing to be ashamed about. I'm out of my depth too. One thing is certain. It must be destroyed as soon as possible. But that's just it, you see. You would have thought that burning the fellow to a fine ash would do the job, but apparently not. How do you destroy ash? Better to keep it safe. Better to keep it hidden. After all, someone must have done just that for the last 50 years. Who? Who knows? Some poor, luckless chap found himself lumbered with the thing. Felt obliged to be its custodian and spent a lifetime looking over his shoulder, waiting for cloaked figures to creep up on him in the night. Then, after a life wasted in terror, he died, and Sir Richard Moston, of all people, swept it up into his collection. Who knows? All I know is that someone has to keep it safe. Guard it day and night. I would certainly prefer that someone not to be me, and as you say, you feel responsible. Oh, so you have it? Not exactly. And you did steal it? No, I got someone else to do that. Anyway, aren't we a bit beyond that now? Look, do you think I could just leave it like that? On show? I knew that if I didn't take it as soon as I could, someone else would. Someone who may not be as friendly as me. Someone eager to bring catastrophe to the streets of London. Well, where is it? It's safe, for now. And what do you mean to do with it? I don't know. I'm thinking of handing the damn thing over to you. I certainly don't want it, but then what are you going to do with it? Well, it will be kept hidden. It will be kept safe. Arrangements have been made, and perhaps it's best that you don't know. Yes, perhaps you're right there. Look, meet me here tomorrow and we'll take it from there. I probably shouldn't trust you, but the chance to rid myself of this thing would be most welcome. Tomorrow evening at ten. It was still dark when we left. Morning was still some hours away, and the streets remained empty. I was looking forward to some sleep. I told you he had it. Yes, well done, Virgil. What arrangements? You said arrangements had been made, had they? No, but I had to say something. I could hardly have said, give it to us, we haven't the faintest idea what to do with it, could I? Well, what are we going to do with it? Bury it? I'm pretty confident that Professor Geisel will know what to do. Yes, I hope so. Quite a relief that James Waverley was on the same side. Hmm. What? He seemed genuine enough. You believe him? Well, yes. You think he was lying? How can we know? Perhaps. We shouldn't be too trusting. Some sort of trap, 
do you think? No, I just think that we should be cautious. Oh, God. What is it? There, up ahead. Can you see that woman? Uh, yes. She accosted me the other night. Religious fanatic. She was standing near a street lamp a few yards away, half in darkness, half in light, talking to someone only she could see. She was gesticulating with one hand for emphasis, and with the other, she rocked a pram like a proud mother. I can't face this now. I'm too tired. Let's double back. There he is. Oh, she's seen us, damn it. It's him with nothing. He's got nothing. He's won nothing at all. Come on. Where are you going? The other way. Don't be a sissy. She's harmless. Good evening. He's not here yet. Who isn't? So sorry, what's your name? Not so long now. Long night. Years and years. But he'll come by. Yes, he will. I'll be here. And what will you give? At tuppence. How's that? Stand in line, wait your turn, but give you must. What will you give? I'll, I'll leave it here, there, okay? Keep warm. Good night. Annie. Annie Renshaw. It's just a name. My name. He'll take that too. If you don't give, he'll take all of it. All of it. I've lost Topper. Gone. He's gone. And who's Topper? The street is cold. You need a warmer. Send him flying up or down. I don't know. Mr. Topper, an empty sock. Bit down hard. Took the lot. Oh, look, Annie. And there's a church army centre on Great Porter Street. Do you know it? Give or take is all the same. A life everlasting resurrection. <laughs> now come with us. You'll be warm there. We'll take you somewhere safe. It's five minutes walk. And what do you give for everlasting life? Let's go. You're wasting your time. I'll pay for your admittance. You'll get some sleep there, get some food. It'll be morning soon. Your new friend. I wouldn't give him the time of day. I'm stuffed. Couldn't eat a thing. Do. Look, a warm night, somewhere to sleep, to rest. No sleep, no rest. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't rest. He waits. He waits. Well, who? What, what does he wait Don't for? Don't trust him. He'll lead you a merry dance. Don't trust who? Don't trust him. Trust no one. Trust in the master. Who is the master? The master, yes, he will, he will come again. I wait for him. I ache for him. What would he give? My blood is his blood. Who are you talking about? You know, of course you do, don't you, Virgil Kaylock? Don't have to say it out loud. Hold your tongue and wait. We wait. We sacrifice. Topper gave it all up. Yes, he did. To me. Mouse gives to Topper. Topper gives to me. I give to him. Who? Give what? To who? Dorothy, let's go. Call him Hayborin. Call him Adrian Malik. He has many names. The names of the prince. Beherit. Call him Moloch. Call him Tammuz. Dorothy, come away now. This is my body. This is my blood. We sacrifice to him. Our gift to him. Our blood for him. Our blood for him. <laughs> she reached into the pram and lifted out the cat. It hung limp and lifeless in her outstretched hands. The poor animal's head lolled to one side, showing the livid gash in its neck. Oh, it'll be morning soon, she says. You're wrong. It will be night. Black night. The blackest. The world will turn in darkness. A new king is come. Time to choose Dorothy Bell. How do you know my name? Choose eternal death or everlasting life. I choose blood. I choose my master. I choose Baphomet, the prince of the world, the prince of darkness. I choose Lord Dracula. <laughs> I grabbed Dorothy's hand and pulled her away from the madness. We ran without speaking, 
We ran through the empty streets of Knightsbridge. What were we running from? Not the deranged cries of Annie Renshaw echoing in the stillness of the morning. We were running from fear itself. The fear that had been growing and taking root in us since our first sight of the urn. Fear that coursed through our bodies and suffused our brains. The fear of night. The fear of death. The fear of Dracula. Chapter 2 of The Urn, written by John Ram. Virgil Kaylock was played by Nicholas Bolton. The young Kaylock, Daniel Fraser. Dorothy Bell, Ellie Turner. Professor Geisel, Hugh Ross. James Waverley, Josh Dillon. And Annie Renshaw was played by Sean Weber. The music was composed and performed by Neil Brand. The Strange Tales of Virgil Kaylock is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. It is produced by Richard Varman, Martin Malone and John Ram. It is a Kaylock production. To find out more about the series, please go to virgilkaylock.uk.